Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. If you know me, you know that I love looking for the best marketing examples out there and adding them to my swipe file. And one of the examples I always go back to is Morning Brew's referral program. Depending on how many people you refer to the newsletter, you can win different prizes and keep track of how close you are to the next prize. It's genius, and I know it's been a huge part of their success. And if you want to set up something similar for your newsletter, Sparkloop is the tool for you. They allow you to set up your own referral program in just minutes. Check them out at sparkloop.app EIM and tell me what you think of them. On the show today is Pedro Cortez. Pedro is a messaging and positioning consultant who works with SaaS companies to revamp their site using conversion copywriting and design best practices. I wanted to bring him on because Pedro developed a really fantastic SaaS landing page template and framework that I've referenced many times. And he's basically my go-to guy for SaaS landing pages and conversion. He's worked with many companies and seen real tangible results from his work. You'll hear about the big mistakes that SaaS companies are making with their landing pages and basically their website in general. Also, how he uncovers website visitors' biggest pain points, obstacles, and hesitations, and then basically weaves those into the copywriting that he produces to overcome them. And also his four-question process to develop positioning that makes your product resonate with your customers. Pedro, to start out, did you ever think that you'd be writing and designing landing pages for a living? Um, yeah, that's quite, that's, that, that was unexpected actually. <laughs> um, I don't know, like when I was, I always wanted to be a, an entrepreneur, right? And I always felt like, okay, whatever I'm going to be doing, I just need to figure out um, a way to provide value to other people, right? Because I always saw the, the entrepreneur, the guy that would provide the most value. And therefore, you would get the most back. Um, so I always wondered what the hell I was supposed to do. And I played with a lot of things. When when I was like 12 or so, I started uh, like programming stupid games and figuring out if I could sell them. <laughs> and if I could make them like good at any point, none of them were good or I didn't finish any of them either. Um, uh, then I just moved on to design and figure out how I could improve the UX of something. So like more people would buy it. Um, and then slowly I kind of involved into uh, the landing page stuff and kind of found I was like more of a natural artist. But when I was like, I don't know, between six and 10 or something, I just thought I was going to be this inventor like Thomas Edison. I would, I would like study engineering. Uh, I don't know, I'll figure something out that was going to be very innovative that's going to save like a bunch of uh, energy or money or time or whatever it's going to be. Um, and then I would just make a bunch of money out of it as long as I had a patent. Mm, right. That was the important <laughs> Something like part. That. As your kid, you have to have to make sure everything's protected and everything's patented. What what was it that first um, sort of piqued your interest about entrepreneurship and that got that on your radar as a kid? Was it sort of like a natural next step or evolution to that sort of engineering mindset wanting to be an inventor? Or was there someone in your life or someone that you saw that you thought, hey, I want to be like them? Yeah, so my um, my grandfather on my um, on my father's side, um, he was like a, an entrepreneur, and he, he started um, 
I think he, his parents were also an entrepreneur, but they, they were like just getting by like everyone at the time in, in the 1900s had, had their, not like that had their own business, but they did their own thing. Right. Uh, right. They, they were used to that thing. So, so they could survive. It's like a different mindset. Um, and my grandfather was like an entrepreneur. He had like the two boutiques here. So he would sell like exclusive things like suits and whatever they sell there. And they would, he would like travel to Italy and all in France and stuff like that, bring everything in. It would only be like a one size. It would be like very exclusive and he would build that up to the biggest uh, boutique in, in, in my city. And like, it's a very small city. And you might think, okay, Portugal, uh, you know, they probably don't have that many rich people here. But for whatever reason, we have a lot of rich people that uh, uh, inherit a lot of wealth because they, they, they had a lot of wealth in the colonies. So, we, you know, Portugal's, uh, Portugal had a lot of colonies in Africa, right? So, they, hmm. so there are a lot of super, like billionaires, right? Wow. Um, not exactly. <laughs> Doesn't mean that it was his clientele, but there are a lot of rich people. Uh, there and uh, they got to meet him. He ended up becoming a multimillionaire between that and, and a lot of real estate. And um, even though I didn't have like the best influences in the rest of the family, I'd say I uh, kind of just said, "Okay, this is the guy that I'm gonna be," and screw everyone else. And he was also like a super humble guy and everything. So, like since it was like since I can remember, it's like this is gonna uh, this is the guy I'm gonna be. I don't care to to like I don't care to craps about what everyone's going to say, either teachers or parents and everything. I'll just be that guy, whatever. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. So then how'd you get into marketing? Um, I, I remember actually maybe a few years ago when you first got on my radar, um, you were still sort of figuring out like, am I a designer? Am I a marketer? Am I sort of a messaging positioning consultant? Or am I um, just like a sort of blend of things, but like, what was the actual transition to getting into the world of marketing and, and tech in, in particular? Um, yeah, so basically, because I was a designer before, I used to do like the UX, um, like UX design, didn't do it for too long. But, um, you know, I did have some experience with it and uh, did work at an agency before and stuff like that. Um, I did it like a few projects and slowly I started doing landing pages and somehow like the clients start getting really good results out of them. And I started noticing that, you know, they, they were getting like way better results than average. And they were telling me all these experiences they had with other uh, consultants, like proper consultants. And I was just thinking of myself uh, as uh, a guy that would do the design and everything. Um, and yeah, I just started noticing those patterns. I started doubling down on, on the things that were working and uh, noticing I was getting really good results and that I was like more natural at uh, structuring everything and creating the copy and creating systems uh, rather than being the designer uh, itself, right? Because design for me is very easy. Not because I'm like, I, I wouldn't say like I'm super creative because I, I wouldn't think like, uh, I wouldn't think like I spend the entire day like thinking about writing music or creating art or something like that. Right. But when I was a kid, I actually, I would draw from, from, from when I was two till I was like nine or 10, I would draw like five hours a day, every single day. Cause I, I also thought, okay, um, an inventor has to be like amazing at drawing. And he may, he might be that I want to be like some sort of guy that designs cars or whatever. I was like, I had a lot of imagination. That's for sure. Yeah. So I would draw like, like really, really well, like every, every single day. So even till today, if I see something, I can like copy it. So that's why design was so easy for me because 
I could just look at an app and I can just rebuild it in my head and I can easily make it look like that even if I don't have any experience with a tool. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, it was almost like you realize, even though you're really good at design, that it was still a little bit of a commodity. And actually what the difference was for clients was the copywriting and was the way that the page was structured and organized. And so you caught on to this trend of, hey, like there's something working about these clients and maybe force a little bit of introspection to figure out like, what is it that is actually working? Is it, is the design, is it the copywriting? Is it the way that, um, we're, we're structuring the page? Um, or when did it sort of click for you that there was something here for you to explore and sort of take on for your, for yourself? Yeah. So there are a couple of things. So one, uh, there was the results that they were getting. Um, but mainly something that would remind me of this like every single day, even more than the results, because, uh, you know, at the time I was just starting the business and I wouldn't get like clients every every month. So it was kind of hard for, for me to get results because I didn't have clients uh, like consistently. Um, but the main thing is I would hang out in these communities uh, for designers, right? Like Dribbble and, and Behance and stuff like that. And um, like... My, my thoughts, like every single day, the thoughts that I had were about like making money, getting results, uh, tracking things, all that stuff. And then every single day I would see like these communities, they would always talk about this new design trend or they would have their designs always look the same and then talk about font sizes. And I would just, I, I wouldn't like relate to them at all. And, and I would just really think these guys are really stupid. That's what, <laughs> honestly, that's what I thought. These, these guys that like spend the entire day thinking about this stuff, when in reality, the, the eye, like the human eye is very predictable. Uh, they just want, the human eye just wants to look for patterns. So as long as you follow a grid, as long as you make the, the uh, typography proportional, the eye is going to like it. Right. If you don't have to the untrained eye, it is not going to notice any difference. So. Like they were making some really stupid discussions and sometimes they were even breaking the rules and you're not supposed to break the rules and everything because mm. otherwise it's just going to not look good or it's not going to be readable. So it's just it's really stupid discussions. Right, right. Honestly. So now you do uh, essentially write and um, advise on the design of landing pages, mainly for SaaS businesses. How did you learn to position yourself and market yourself for your own consulting practice? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I always have this uh, thought intuitively that, um, you know, I, I, I needed to stand out. I, I mean, I wasn't hanging out in those communities, right? You can literally say the, the, see the numbers where it says, that, okay, there are like 60,000 or, or 100,000 designers here. And I know they're getting, that's the main way they're getting work. Um, I know that it was just like stupid to not double down on something. And um, that is just like my, my, the way I think is always about like systems and doubling down on the things that work and, and everything. So um, I just thought I'm going to just double down on the clients that I like to work with, the clients that I get results from is just like very, very natural. And uh, everyone that doesn't do that is like, just like, uh, I don't know, it's just they're not thinking of this properly. And, and then I had like a lot of people telling me, oh, you need to be more generic if you, have, if you need to get more clients, if you want to get more clients. That's something that uh, they tell you a lot in the design world. Not, not like um, they're telling you this um, like to your face, but they're more like saying, oh, if you don't do that, then you're going to lose out, or you're, uh, you're gonna lose out on, on people to work with. And it's not like, uh, you know, design can, can be that specific, that kind of thing. Um, so to me, it was like always 
counter natural to just do that because that, that's that, that's why I, I doubled down like when i started reading um copywriting books and everything uh it helped me organize all the thoughts they already have and then at some points there was this description of uh, uh joseph Shurkerman. and by the way copywriters were exactly the thing that i was looking for so i was always wondering who would be the type of guy that would know uh, human nature so well that every time you would uh, launch your product, you would know exactly what's going to happen, know exactly how to sell it, right? I was, and I spent like a few months trying to figure that out. I didn't have an answer. And then I kind of stumbled on copywriting, um, you know, kind of thought, okay, these are the guys that I was looking for. And then in some book, that, that is the book from Joseph Sugarman that I was talking about. Uh, currently, it's called the, hand, um, the Ad Week Copywriting Handbook. I think that's what it's called. And right at the, in the first page or in the introduction, they say, okay, the guy that is a perfect copywriter is a guy that uh, can talk with anyone about any subject, but can get as deep as an expert. Hmm. Right? So, so a, a guy can like not know every, anything about the subject, but just by talking to an expert, you could seem like an expert himself. And that's, that's uh, the thing that I resonated with. Because um, I don't know, I feel like I, I feel like th that was like the perfect description for me. And then I thought, okay, from now on, this is who I am. Oh, it's interesting. Like this is exactly what I was looking for for all these years. Yeah, fascinating. And and so now, I mean, you work pretty much exclusively with SaaS businesses. So how did you land on that kind of segment of the market in choosing who to work with? Yeah. So uh, it was really looking at uh, both my skills and the skills that. Um, um, you know, the market had. So obviously it had a problem because, I mean, I wasn't targeting a, a market that didn't have a problem that I could fulfill with, the, with my skills. That's an obvious one. Um, but the thing about SaaS companies is most of them are like started by either people that are technical. So they, they like build the product or they still, they're still product focused. Even if they're not technical, they might know a little bit of marketing. They're still product focused. If you look at their calendar, they spend more time um, even if they, even if they don't identify as that, they spend more time working on the product rather than, uh, not promoting it and, and marketing the product. Right. So, and what happens with that is one, you get really, really biased about your products and what you're building and all that stuff. And two, you just really lack the skills because those skills are really, really specific and, um, and you're not going to have the skills to just sell it properly. Right. So one, you become biased until you don't have that very, very specific skill. And plus, I just read that book and identify, oh, I'm the guy that is kind of natural at having the, those skills. So this is this is like a perfect fit here. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. The, I think what's, what's fascinating about the SaaS sort of world and, uh, and like you mentioned, sort of the dynamics, a lot of the founders uh, that we're seeing is that it's very product focused world, which makes sense because it's software, right? But then that leaves yep. a gap for you to come in and say, hey, for everyone who doesn't have a copywriter mindset or isn't a trained copywriter for that, for that matter, you can come in and essentially fill the gap for them. So I want to get back to, um, what do you think SaaS companies are doing wrong with their landing pages and the whole founder mindset and how you work with them. But first I'd love to sort of dig in a little bit to how you market yourself. Like how do you get in front of the right people, um, express, uh, your services in a way that makes sense and then actually get interest in working um, or getting someone to be interested in working with you as a consultant. Yeah. So, um, the way I get all my clients is really through 
through contents. Uh, my main channel is really like LinkedIn, just posting videos on LinkedIn about the things that, uh, like, like just a few tips and, and things that they need to think about and just some landing page teardowns of what I like, I don't like. It's usually most, most, most of the time is me just criticizing landing pages because the good ones are kind of hard to find. That's why people would subscribe to swipe files anyway. Right. Um, but the way I, I market myself is actually pretty simple. So I just figure out, okay, my, this is my ideal um, clients. Uh, they're going to hang out on LinkedIn for sure because there's like 600 million people on LinkedIn. So what I need to do is I just need to build a, an audience somewhere. It's, I just chose LinkedIn because you can kind of choose or you can like you can use Sales Navigator and you can figure out, um, you know, where they hang out, what they call themselves, all that stuff. So you can start like adding people and and then it just builds, uh, builds the snowball by itself. Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, you can do that in any platform. I just cho uh, chose that one. And, but the main thing here, and this is what I really stand out, is um, you know I, I see people on LinkedIn just posting like LinkedIn and all sort of different platforms like uh, jokes or or memes or asking for opinions or polls or something like that. Obviously, you're gonna get a response because you're asking for people's opinions. And I never ask for people's opinions because I really don't care, right? Because <laughs> I just do my own research and I don't like just to focus on opinions. I really hate opinions, right? So what I do is first I start off with, I list out all the problems. I literally have a big ass documents with all the problems that SaaS com uh, uh, companies have, all the false beliefs they have, all the common questions that they have. I have everything there. Uh, what they think are good examples of landing page, landing pages, what they think are bad examples of landing pages, because even that is wrong as well. Mm. Uh, and what I do is I take one of those problems, there's a billion ways to say how you can fix them. And then I talk about those problems. And because I'm talking about a problem that they know they have, I'm going to attract people with those problems. Because the people that have those problems, they're going to uh, read that hook in the post, and then they're going to stop scrolling them and look at the video, right? Hmm. But the people that don't have the problem, they're just going to keep scrolling, right? And what that does, it just builds up on that problem. They figure out, okay, this is something that I'm struggling with. Seems like this guy knows his stuff. So what I do, and this is how you make uh, yourself seem like a complete authority, even if people never heard of you. Um, this is this is just like people buying into your stuff, like logically. Um, obviously, there's emotional stuff of like feeling the pain and everything. That's why you want to attract the, the people with the problems anyway. But the way you uh, do that logically, and this is especially important if you're talking with engineers and, and technical founders and, and everything, is you need to tell them, okay, this is what you believe now. This is what actually true. Mm. This is what everyone else is saying. This is what actually true. And me backing that up with some client results or just telling them that this makes sense or using some sort of analogy where they can see this like on a day-to-day -day basis, right? One very common thing is they think I, my landing page needs to convert at 2% because for, or whatever the industry standard is. And I, can, and I come in and say that that is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> That what you need to do is you need to think about, okay, you make $1,000 per customer per year, right? How much can you afford to spend on that uh, to pay for, to acquire a customer, right? Then you figure out what your conversion needs to be in order to hit that number so you can grow sustainably, right? Hmm. It's not like I'm going to convert at 2%. That doesn't really matter. I, I, like on my own website, I don't even track that at all uh, because all, I'm, all I care about is am I getting people to request um, for like to fill in applications, uh, 
people that want to talk to me, people that I feel like are a good fit that I can actually help and uh, that I would enjoy work with uh, to work with and that it would give them amazing results. Hmm. Um, so that was it. That is like my true metric. Even conversion might be a vanity uh, metric sometimes. Right, because then it's about, well, how well are they activating in the platform and onboarding and then are they retaining? Are they... Uh, are they using their product or are they sort of paying for it without using it? Maybe they're at risk of churning, right? So there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, but before I move on to sort of more on the SaaS side of thing and how you help clients, um, where did you learn to, you know, market yourself that way? And like, how did you land on the whole LinkedIn approach and, uh, building the document and sort of having that process to lean on, to figure out how you're going to reach the, the best fit clients? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's really a, a mix of things. So obviously trial and error uh, played a role here because, uh, you know, I was just posting a lot of content and I was noticing which one was uh, was getting like uh, like the the most traction and was getting generating the most leads and, and the, the best clients. Um, I even gone through the exercise of noticing, OK, here here are the posts that got me clients even with when I was doing articles at the time and everything, uh, actually I, I would track all of that stuff and I would ask my clients if you would remember, I would go through their history and all that stuff. Like we would reverse engineer everything. Hmm. Um, and, and I had that at the time, so that helped me. And then I just systematize it, right? Cause I wanted to do the content faster. I wanted to do it on Sunday mornings. I just want to get it over with. I wanted to batch uh, the, all the tasks and everything. So for me to do it better, I would need to systematize it, right? And I was noticing when you teach someone, you need to have like a much better leveling, uh, level of understanding if you want to uh, teach this in like a five-minute video right. where everything needs to be on, on points. And this is like really my, my mantra here. If it's not clear in your head, it's not going to be clear in your marketing, right? So that I like, kind of forced my, force myself to systematize this, uh, like talk about this all the time, and then uh, the results just just follow. Really, that's uh, that's how it works. And like I said, that's kind of how my brain works. Anyway, I just like to systematize things. Why take like twice the time where I can just systematize something and make it work better? Hmm. Yeah, one one of the things I, I've noticed about you, and uh, and even just through our conversation now, listening to sort of the way that you work, is that there's sort of like a a framework for everything, and there's like a way to reverse engineer everything. And a lot of marketers actually don't take the time to really sit down and think about all those things of, hey, what are all the you know biggest uh, pain points of our customers? And um, what is the process that we would take someone through? Like why someone would buy our product or service? Um, how can I explain this and teach this in a way that makes sense to our customers? Um, is there anything that you've leaned on when, you know, when you've learned marketing? You mentioned a couple of uh, copywriting books earlier, but like how did you actually learn uh, to do this? Is this something that you sort of like stumbled upon or did you have any sort of frameworks or books, courses, resources that you've uh, adopted? Yeah. So the reason why the copywriting was, was kind of natural and I was getting results for clients even before I stumbled upon those copywriting books is because as a, as a hobby, I was obsessed with reading like uh, books around human nature. And I was just like, uh, like reading those and psychology and stuff like that. So I was noticing everything and, and because I was like doing landing pages, I, I would obviously do some, some research. I would go online, search for quote unquote best practices 
then I was looking the way they were, uh, you know, telling me to sell a product, it would make no sense in terms of how someone would make a decision, uh, whatever decision that would be to either to sign up, either to buy or whatever it is, it would make no sense. Right. So I just, I knew that this industry was just like focusing on the right things and, and on the wrong things. And I had to just figure it out by myself. And that's, um, I always stumble upon the copywriting books, the old ones, obviously. And then uh, it was just, just kind of fun. Let's f- just figure out how this would work for SaaS because they're doing it wrong, and that's for sure. Hmm. Well, speaking of them doing it wrong, uh, I would love to jump into the world of SaaS and landing pages and sort of your experience with it. And uh, But you have to pick a sort of place to jump off of. Um, so why don't we start here? What are the, the mistakes that com- SaaS companies are making in particular uh, with their landing pages that you see across your, your clients and other people you talk to as well? Yeah, so... I mean, the, um, there's one really big main mistake that people do, or it's really in the way they think about selling SaaS in general, or really just selling anything, um, is, I mean, probably people like your listeners would expect some sort of uh, answer what I would say, okay, they're, they're missing this call to action, or they need to change the color, or this needs to be more clear, something like that. But reality, reality is like we need to figure out what are the questions that people ask themselves before they, they want to buy a SaaS product. I, and I've done a lot of research myself on this. And it really, the three or four main questions that they ask about is, does this fix my problem so I can get the result that I want? Right? And what they mean by that is, is this going to save me time? Is this going to save me money? And it's not like you putting on the website, oh, you're going to save money or this is going to explode your growth, right? When immediately when you say something like that, the BS filters uh, or the BS meter just goes through the roof. <laughs> you immediately think this is a bunch of BS and you just want to click away uh, because you're making all of these promises and you're not backing them up, right? Uh, that's one, one part of the mistake. Another mistake is just being too feature focused when you focus too much on what you're selling and you're not focused on what they want at all, right? So you're telling them what the solution is when they haven't told you what the problem they're facing is. Like imagine that would be a conversation, right? The first thing that someone would say before they even talk about a problem, you already be sell- would be selling them something and they would say, okay, that's not for me because that's n- natural for them because you know that other person didn't figure out what the, what the problem was. So therefore it's impossible for them to know what the real solution is. So that's number one, can it fix my problem? Can it provide me with the result that I want? Mm-hmm. Another thing is, why is this better than the current thing that I'm using? Because let's be honest, people love to be comfortable with their tools, uh, with the way they work, especially it, like especially when you're selling a tool that ha- that uh, like multiple team members are going to use. Because then you have to overcome that uh, resistance of everyone is used to their own uh, their own way of working, um, and uh, they don't want to give that up uh, as long as they have like some huge pain to go through or the risk is really low where they can just make the change really fast right so you need to address that um and that's also a product thing you need to make sure that the, the transition is easy so that's number question number two why is this better than the current thing that i'm using because then there's a huge resistance uh, of switching with something they're already comfortable with mm-hmm. and finally is why is this better than everything else on the market right uh, if you were to double down on a specific niche and then that, and say that this is specifically built for accountants or something like that, they already got 
uh, a win because people would say, oh, this was built for me, so therefore it has to be uh, better, right? They would assume that right away, uh, which is which might be surprising for people that haven't tried that out and uh, niche down. So what happens is when someone is at the stage right before they, they buy a software, they're going to be comparing all these different solutions. It's just natural because they essentially what they need to fill is they need to feel that they're making the best buying decision that they can make with their budget uh, based on the problems they have and all that stuff, right? So they're going to compare your product. So you, what you need to do is you just need to convince them that this is the best solution for them, right? There's a lot of ways to doing that. Maybe it's to make your USPs clearer. Maybe it's to show that your pricing is more affordable. Maybe it's to show that you have some better onboarding. Maybe it's to show that uh, the support is better, whatever it is. It needs all of these three things needs to be like very, very obvious. Mm. And maybe one last thing that go, these things like go ahead in hand, you kind of, there's some, a little bit of an overlap, but is how long would it take to make the switch, right? Because I might have all of these amazing benefits right here. Uh, let's imagine this is a scale, but even if you have like 10 benefits and you have one big risk, uh, risk the risk is like 10 times heavier than any benefit, right? So focus more on getting rid of that perceived risk rather than uh, showing a benefit that they that you might get it wrong. Right, mm. because the uh, risk and answering objections is much easier to get it right than just coming up with the benefits, because that's not how they might see it. Yeah, I want to hone in on a, on a few points in there, but you know, one of the first things that you mentioned is that a lot of SaaS companies struggle with uh, explaining the problem that their product actually solves. Like, why do you think that that is? That a lot of companies, you know, they jump straight to the solution, they jump, they jump straight to uh, the features and the benefits. Um, what is it about? SaaS companies and founders where they struggle to explain what problem their product solves. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is actually a very simple answer. Um, you know, as far as their limit, limiting beliefs, they might think, oh, I'm just not good at writing copy or my product is really hard to explain uh, or my solution is different, which is really like a bunch of BS, really. It's really, it's actually pretty egotistical if you think about it, <laughs> where you think like your solution is like magically different. Everyone does that, but it's like pretty egotistical, I would say. Um, so the the actual the the reason behind this is the thing that I mentioned like a few minutes ago about the, the mantra that I was always talking about. If it's not clear in your head, it's never going to be clear in your marketing, right? So the reason why they're struggling with this is because it's not clearing their head at how they're going to market market this tool, because ninety percent of the time their brain is focused on building a product and their vision about the company. It's more of a, a vision about the products, not a vision about the company, right? And that's a big problem. It's a, a, like a vision about having a roadmap, a product roadmap, not a, a company vision, right? right? And that's like a, a little bit of a problem. And this is just like a, them going with their natural tendencies. Natural tendencies to focus on the product. That's why they, they end up talking about the product so much because that's the only thing that they're knowledgeable about. Hmm. They know more about the solutions rather than the problems that they fix. Hmm. So when you're talking with a potential client or a client and you're trying to uncover uh, everything that you need to know to be able to answer these questions for them and then write and design a high converting landing page, like what are the inputs that you're working with to translate it into the output of uh, a landing page that answers all those questions? Are you talking to the founders? Are you talking to customers? Are you doing research of some kind? Like what are the inputs that you work with? Uh, yeah, so in terms, there's a couple of ways to figuring that out. 
So one is identifying the opportunities in the first place, because one thing that I've learned like um, over the past few months is even though I've gotten like amazing results with landing pages and that's like what I'm known for, um, I, I'm working on with clients on like a full, full funnel approach where we just tweak a lot of things throughout the funnel uh, and focus on those uh, pirate metrics uh, really on and everything and see how we can improve. Uh, because often that's the thing that takes the most work and provides the least results. So there are a few pages here and there, like the pricing and the demo uh, or the try or the sign up page. There's a few things here and there that it can actually have a bigger impact uh, and can actually provide more insights before you even tweak the landing page. So mm -hmm. that's just something to keep in mind. And really the way we identify those opportunities is figure out, okay, here are all the stages of the funnel. Here here how, um, how many people are going through each stage. And then just figuring out where they're dropping off is like really quite simple when you think about it. We don't need like this latest tool of analytics to figure that out. It's just figuring out where they're getting stuck and answering it. That's conversion optimization mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Um, and the way I find these insights is one is they're very predictable. So people are always, always care about, uh, let's say you're booking a demo. They always care about why is this going to be valuable for me? Is this going to be another sales call? Are they going to spam me for months? Am I going to talk to a technical guy or a salespeople or a salesperson? Am I going to get uh, time to ask for questions or, or they're going to, to just open up a presentation and just show me slides for like 60 minutes and I, and I have no time to ask questions. So this is what goes through their minds before signing up for a demo. And this is something that happens regardless of the product, regardless of the industry. So me knowing those patterns, uh, I can just come in and, and address those right away. But when it comes to a landing page, there are also a lot of patterns. Um, usually they're like, let's say we have like 10 main objections, at least more than five, they are the same for every single SaaS company. And then do you like the last four or the last three or something that are specific to that company, right? So that's how we figure it out. That's like I just said a couple of minutes ago, the conversion optimization is just figuring out where, uh, where people get stuck and just addressing that, that concern. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like sales. It's just taking the objection, addressing it. If you don't answer your objections, never going to close the deal. Yeah, there, there's an interesting um, dichotomy or, or conversation that happens sometimes where someone, you know, there, there's the advice out there of, oh, you should basically start selling before someone gets in the product. You, know, you should answer every objection and you should uh, address everything. You should really walk someone through um, so that by the time they get into the product, they're basically already sold or they're looking to um, validate their assumptions, right? And then the, on the other side, you have the argument of, well, we should let the product do the speaking for itself. And we should just build enough curiosity uh, to get someone into the product, but we sh really shouldn't try to sell them before it. We shouldn't try to answer every question, every objection, et cetera. Um, what do you think about that? Like, is there a balance between there or do you lean to one side or the other? Yeah, um, actually we're not supposed to answer like all the objections, right? Because if you think about like all of these questions that people might have or the FAQ that someone might have on a pricing page, a lot of those questions are actually relevant, right? And you're not gonna answer objections that you only get like one or two questions every month on like on your chat bubble on the side, right? So that is like irrelevant. So what you need to do is like more towards the, the last part where you're gonna address objections like the main things they care about. And the main things they care about are the four things that I talked about at the beginning is how long does it take to switch? Does this fix my problem? 
all that stuff. So you need to address those, that's for sure. And what we want to do with a landing page is we need to just tell them enough so they feel, okay, this might be it. I'm 90% sure that this might be the thing that might fix my problem. I just want to take the next step. So the landing page is there to not sell the product, is to sell them on the next step. That's why we need to make the demo feel valuable and we need to tell them what they can do with the free trial. Um, so they uh, think that that's valuable, that they know what the next step is and they end up taking that next step. Hmm. The thing of th making the product sell itself, it's a really, like it's a huge trap because not every product is supposed to sell by itself. There are very sp specific products that, um, that have like some uh, longer onboarding processes and they will never work with a free trial or the pricing is too high and they need to jump on a sales call. Uh, just model, just your revenue model itself could completely change the, or can, it can completely uh, uh, define if the company is going to be successful or not, right? So you're not going to put a product that, that takes some time to onboard, or you have to create a project, or you have to invite your entire team before you can actually get any type of win with it. That's never going to work uh, with a free trial. It's never going to work with product-led growth, and that is just we, we need to be a re realistic uh, about that, right? On the other hand, there are uh, amazing products where you can just come in, like you, it clicks right away. They're super easy to use, like Canly or something, um, or even Slack. And uh, they, they literally sell by themselves. And to that, it makes sense to charge a lower price, have everything uh, using a, a low touch approach and stuff like that. But um, most SaaS companies and most companies that fix like these big programs and for a specific niche, and like they're a B2B, uh, for example, um, most of them fall some sort of in the middle where they have maybe a hybrid approach or more like the high touch approach. Mm -hmm. That's, that's uh, how they can fix the, the, um, or have the biggest impact with their customers and also have, uh, make the most money or be the most profitable as a company. Cause they end up charging more, making better solutions, all that stuff. Yeah. What are the differences that you see between marketing, you know, a product led growth type of company right where it's very self-serve diy you you really want to get into the product and sort of experience it for yourself versus a more sales-led company where maybe there's you know six seven figure contracts and there's a three-month onboarding period and need to, there's multiple stakeholders like how does how do those dynamics change the way that you write and design a landing page uh yeah so when you when you want to try the product itself it's more like uh telling what the product uh, does and and showing them that is is going to be like uh, a better solution that wouldn't have tried it in the past and something like that really just addressing the normal objections that people would have really because the, there's still a lot of overlap in how you sell those stuff and uh, the main thing is just getting them to uh, take action sooner so getting them to uh, to sign up for that trial actually try it out and um and really just Figure it out. Uh, the the good part with the product-led growth approach is you can figure out what are the aha moments that people have like during the onboarding, and just talk about those uh, before they even get to the product. So then that's what actually gets them to 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 want to try it out. Like pretty simple. But also on the other hand, when you have a sales approach, you actually have you get all the objections during a call. Those calls are most likely recorded. You also get a lot of insights there. Um, and when it comes to sales, uh, it's, it's like I said, uh, you, you look at the demo, which is how they usually close the sales, as a product itself. So it's a product that you actually need to sell them on. They need to know what they're, what's included. They need to know is going to be valuable 
And um, even though it's just a sales call, right? Even though it's just a call, you still need to sell it. Mm. You still need to say why it's going to be valuable. This is not going to be a sales call. We're going to figure out if this might be the right solution for you. We're not going to be like pitching like crazy. And that's what most SaaS companies, at least the good SaaS companies do anyway, right? They're, they're really concerned about uh, onboarding the right customers. Otherwise, it might even cost them more with the churn and the support and everything. Mm. You mentioned something earlier about having a more full funnel approach and even addressing pages like the pricing page, the sign-up page, the demo page before you get to the main homepage or landing pages for a specific product maybe that a company offers. How do you know where to start or even that the landing page should be something to work on in the first place? Uh, yeah, it's really like I said uh, like at the beginning of, of that point where we literally just list out all the stages that they might go through. So they might, uh, like, this is how they found you. This is how they make the decision. Maybe they go to the pricing or they consider booking a demo or they consider getting a trial or they get a trial first and then they book a demo because they try it by themselves and then they book a demo to have someone else in the team because now they sell it to themselves. Now they still, they need to sell it to their, their team, right? Mm. That's the, Let's say if you are like a marketing manager and you're looking at a marketing tool and kind of need to sell it to your uh, other employees or your teammates and stuff like that, right? So that's a, uh, an example. So really, really where you find the opportunity is just looking at the journey that people go through and it's really not that complex. Uh, it's really like they, this is how they found you. This is how they make a decision. Maybe they compare you in the pricing page. They compare you in the comparison page or they consider signing up or booking at them, all, all that stuff. Figuring out where is the biggest drop off and just addressing that right away and then just testing it and see if it if it did get like a big uptick. If it did get a big uptick, then it means you're probably not ad addressing these things elsewhere. Um, I mean, landing pages uh, they 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 need to be optimized, but, uh, but the reason why I am not doing them first is because they they're taking more work. Um, this is where clients get overwhelmed a lot of the times. So they even even though they have all the content ready and they can just send it off to a designer to make it pretty, or even if they're stuck by just one image, that uh, really paralyzes them. Paralyzes them. So what I'm doing is I'm just uh, building up that momentum. So we tweak this thing that I know is going to work. Then we take this other thing. They continue to see results, and then uh, it just helps them execute better. Because one thing with SaaS founders is it's, it's surprising how messed up their head is. Like their schedule is all over the place. Um, they, they don't know how to prioritize. I don't even know how some of these run a seven figure company. <laughs> I just to be honest with you, their mind is a complete mess. There's a couple of clients that I've literally had to say, hey, this call is purely for, for me to look at your calendar. I'm gonna tell you what you need to like take off of your calendar. And we're actually gonna book a time every single week to focus on the stuff that we're uh, discussing because for you to get like results long term you have to do this consistently mm. so i had like two or three clients that i had to do that even recently where i need to go through their calendar and fix all the stuff and literally they waste time with uh, really stupid things so yeah there's a, a lot of reasons why why this uh, might happen yeah if that answers I mean, the question no absolutely it's uh i think that's one of the reasons why it's hard it's the landing page is a very like sacred item to a marketer or to a founder of a SaaS company because you want to make sure that you get it right. And a lot of people have the attitude that, uh, you know, we need to sort of 
ship it and let it be perfect because it's the homepage. It's our sort of uh, the culmination of how we represent ourselves, right? And so um, they might only make an update once or twice a year to the landing page, whereas it's maybe the most important thing that should be tested and iterated and sort of changed as the product evolves as well. Um, I'm wondering for, for the landing page itself, like what are the ingredients that are needed on the landing page? Um, you know, what role do testimonials play and headlines, images and illustrations? Like there's a few trends that have gone around where you'll see a lot of companies uh, put on sort of like these fancy illustrations uh, versus some companies that have screenshots. Uh, you'll see some that have lots of quotes and case studies, some that just show sort of a logo pool. Like what are the ingredients that you feel are important to having a high converting landing page? Uh, yeah, uh, we can break that down. I actually have like a, a cheat sheet on this, like it actually has the formula I use with clients, but it's like similar. Um, instead of like going through every single section, what I think it, it needs to make sense it, uh, here is um, just the, the high level approach of this or how it works like um, uh, really it, with the psychology behind it essentially, right? So obviously you need to grab their attention at the beginning, right? We don't need to try to explain the products uh, like right away. Um, you don't need to try to squeeze in like everything about the product at the top. You just need to grab their attention so they keep scrolling down, right? It's like the one of uh, the, the guy Joseph uh, Sugarman, uh, Sugarman, the, the book I was talking about. He also invented the term where a copy needs to be like a slippery slide, where the 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 point of each section is just to get you to read the next section until you're at the end and you want to buy. Right. So that's what you need to think about a landing page as well. Um, then what you need to talk about is you need to talk a program. Like what is the program with the thing that they use currently? So they realize they have a program and then you can, after you point out and you, re you remind them of all the problems you have, then you can make sure that you can tell them exactly how you fix them. So this is where logical proof comes in where logically you're going to show them this is the result that you can expect by implementing our tool. So from step like uh, from step one to three or one to five or something like that, here's how you can use our tool to get the result that you're looking for. And to do that, you actually need to be very aware of what, what is the, the result that they really are after. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You're probably going to perform worse. Hmm. right? And then after that, now that you have a logical proof and they, they understand how they can... Uh, um, you know, make more money or save time with a product. The, an example for this uh, would be, uh, let's say you're making bread by hand, really random example, by the way. Um, and then someone would tell you, okay, what if you just buy this machine that is just going to, I don't know, mold the bread for you. Um, and then you just have to put it in, in the oven, right? Just by you saying that, they know that they're going to spend 10 times less on like creating the form of the of the bread and they just have to put it in the oven that means at least five times more more bread that means that they can grow their business by five times they, immediately their brain is going to test them all these things to the result mm -hmm. right so they already sold on the machine right they even if uh they didn't see like if other companies were using this they already see the results that it can get so it makes sense logically that this product is going to help them that's what you need to do with your product then to really uh, back that up, because some people are a little bit more uh, emotional, or maybe they're they just want to see results from other people because they're extra skeptical, right? So what do you do? Is you just have people 
um, talk about uh, the product, mention the results they got. And um, the way I like to do it is I like to have some client interviews where we not only get uh, people to like customers to quantify the results, but you also put in the script in the questions that we ask. Uh, so they address the objections for us. So we often ask them, what did the transition look like from this tool to ours? And because the people watching that and they, they do want the results and they do feel like it can help, but they may feel like it's going to take a while. And then they see the person that is just like them saying, oh, I thought this, this and this was supposed to happen. But in reality, we just booked on a boarding call to help us out throughout the entire way. Mm. And within a couple of days, we're up and running. And uh, we were getting got this result like a month later, right? Yeah. So we made the script so people address the objections right away, and then really just giving them a call to action. Now that you understand all of this, this is your next step. This is what you need to do later, hmm. right? So it's this is everything you need to know, and this is what you need to do now. Yeah. What what makes for a great headline? Like, do you follow any formulas or you know heuristics that help you determine? how to capture someone's attention in the beginning so that they do, you know, keep going down the slide and uh, moving down the landing page. Yeah. I don't um, like the way we come up with headlines is, is actually pretty simple. Uh, is usually is we don't use those exact words, but in the way that people read it is it's, it has a similar effect. So if you think about that formula where it says how to get results without problem, hmm. uh, that's actually, what I found to be the most effective, um, uh, effective uh, headline in SaaS, just because uh, people just uh, they they have a lot of problems with SaaS and a lot of specific objections, right? So it's likely that they really like one product, but there's one be really big pain with it, uh, right? So let's say they really like the CRM, but they the CRM forces them to use a different sales process, so they need to find something else, right? So one thing that I've seen work really well that I actually use with one of my clients is, okay, here's a CRM that is specifically built for this industry. In that case, it was like the financial industry. And you don't have to change your sales process. Like that would grab their attention like crazy because it's exactly what they were looking for. It's, it's like that thing that I was talking about in the way that I position my own business or the way I, I sell people on my videos, like one quote sell them on my videos is this is what most companies, this is what more, what most products uh, do, most products do, and this is why you hate them. And this is what our product does. So you're just literally uh, increasing the contrast between the two. So they're, they kind of start hating more the other products and they start lacking more yours. It's like more polarizing, mm -hmm. right? So you say most CRMs do this or most analytics tool do this. This is what our tool does. And it just happens that the way we talk about that tool is the exact benefits that customers described maybe in a demo or after they become a customer or in their interview or the aha moments that they get in a free trial. Hmm. Yeah, it really gets uh, into it just keep coming up. Really gets into positioning, right? Where you start figuring out, uh, okay, well, we know that people are gonna come to the landing page with a lot of preconceived notions about um, what it does and which category they're in and sort of what they're already using, what the other players are in the market. Like you said, those are some of the, the last two questions you have to answer. And so really then it's just a matter of differentiating yourself in a clear enough way that grabs their attention if they care about it. Right. Um, and if they don't, that's fine. But if they do, then you have a strong, compelling story to tell them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's a big one. What about the call to action? Um, because, 
something I've noticed with a lot of SaaS companies uh, and their landing pages is that there's usually a pretty, I don't know, generic or maybe whimsical kind of approach where it's start a free trial or get started or create your free account. And then it's just literally a button. Like, how do you think about the call to action for a SaaS company in the way that it's presented, placed, um, and how many, even how many times it's on the page? Uh, yeah, like people are starting to become numb to the, to those call to actions where it just says, okay, get your account today. Right. So let's say they went through the, at the end of the page, you just want to remind them why this is actually risk-free. And by being at risk free is not only having a free trial, it's actually other things like when, let's say I, ha I was thinking about creating this call to action for a company that uh, uses free trials. Not only I would say that you can get your 14 day trial, but I was also going to say, okay, this is how long it would take to set up, right? So I would say something like you're five minutes away from start using this tool to help your business, get your free trial here. Uh, that tells them how long it would usually take. Uh, another thing that we can say mm. is support is also available for uh, available for free accounts, or we can say something like all features are available in a free trial account, or, um, or we can say something like, or here are the things that you can do during the free trial period. I remember with one of my clients, they have this tool. It's just a, a, an LMS for WordPress. And um, instead of telling them, okay, uh, go ahead and get this, this trial, this 30-day uh, trial, 14-day trial, whatever it was, um, what we said instead is, okay, we're going to get it, try it for free for 14 days, going to be able to test drive it. You're actually going to be able to build your entire course and even onboard customers if you want um, during the trial period. And that's something that people do all the time. So that is really going to help you uh, understand if this is right for you or not. So it wasn't about selling them, oh, you're going to get 14 days free. This is what you can do during that period. It's not going to, uh, it's not going to cost you any money because that's like very different. Mm. Like free, free trash is still trash. Right. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. There's, there's this paradigm that's happening with a lot of uh, SaaS companies where they realize that because it's so competitive, they need to find more ways to, to be clear about the message. It becomes ever more important to be crystal clear about uh, why you should take action now and not put it off later, why you're different than competitors, um, and sort of what to expect with the trial, right? Um, and one of those other big parts, as we've sort of alluded to a few times, is uh, the competitors and sort of the way that people are currently doing things. How do you address competitors or competitive alternatives, whichever way that shows up, whether it's a spreadsheet or intern or some other kind of process, on the page, like, do you, do you always do it? Do you sometimes do it? How do you know when and if you should? Yeah. Um, I only, the, when I took comparison pages and they do get some results, they're kind of hard to track because, um, people never convert from a convert, uh, comparison page unless they're, you're paying for it on Captera or something, mm. uh, or ha like you're running ads for it. Um, but usually they just see that page or, or maybe they scroll to the footer to look for that page. Uh, but then they just convert in the homepage. Uh, that is like a normal, a normal thing to happen. Do the, the, the only times where I actually work on the comparison page is if the, uh, if the industry is pretty competitive. So I was working with a client recently where they, um, uh, they were selling like marketing automation. They were selling like an email marketing tool. 
that is like insanely competitive, right? right? So what we needed to do is you need to find a way to compare it uh, properly because switching from an email marketing tool, it's the biggest nightmare ever, right? Because you have all of your tags, all of your campaigns, all of your, like your entire list, like your, your comparison page needs to be like 10 times better than, than everything else out there. Right. Uh, and I have a formula for that as well. Uh, I, I have some training for that for my clients. So they understand like what, how people make that decision. Uh, so then we can like tweak those pages and, and they know, um, how they should sell it. Uh, and they also get like my help and we do it together and everything. Um, but I actually have a formula for this as well. Right. So obviously you start off by saying, okay, this is, this is, um, you just have like both names. So it, let's say it's like Infusionsoft versus active campaign or something. Then we actually make a fair comparison with, uh, some check marks, right? So this is the, these are the tools that it has. These are the tools it doesn't have, right? We actually make it a fair comparison. So we're not going to say that, okay, our tool has everything and the other tool sucks. Yeah. Uh, that is not going to be re realistic. Doesn't create any trust. I've seen many, many companies do this really stupid. Uh, then you immediately start trusting, uh, stop trusting them. Then after that, you just tell them what are the three things, the three key differences about these products, right? And the, the case of my clients is it works directly with WordPress. So because it works directly with WordPress, you can essentially manage everything in one tool, hmm. right? Another thing is that it actually charges a flat rate. So when you uh, like sign up for the product, you don't get, uh, they, they don't keep charging you more as, you, as your list grows. So it means you're going to be saving thousands uh, in the next few years. Um, and another thing is you can actually create templates for for the entire funnel, not just for the campaign, hmm. right? So that was just the USPs. We talked about them. We made that fair comparison. And then what we did is we actually had interviews from people that switched from Infusionsoft to their tool. So they would tell what the problems were uh, with Infusionsoft in specific. And we did that with, with the th top three main competitors because obviously it takes more time. And then people could really make the decision. So it's, it's going to be more affordable. It's going to have all these USPs work directly with WordPress. And then we have this information for people that switched over from Infusionsoft to this tool. They have all the info they need to really get started. Mm. There's no way you can refuse that offer. Right. So that's how you do comparison pages. Yeah. Well, what about the critique, you know, that you, some people say you don't want to call out competitors directly on your site because then you're giving them attention or you're sort of introducing potential customers to your competitors and maybe they'll steal away a business from you. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, like I said, you're only going to do this, um, with, with, um, very competitive industries like the email marketing industry and, um, and like the CRM and stuff like that, because people are going to compare you, right? Because it's likely they already use a tool. It's not like they're going to use a spreadsheet for this. Like no one sends emails with spreadsheets, right? right? It's a, it's totally a different case. It's a, it's really a market where there is like more demand, more, um, more solutions than there is demand for uh, at this point. There's plenty of that in software and it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that people are going to find that, right? Uh, people usually search for it, right? Maybe they search for it in a footer. So not many, only people that are looking for it will find it or they search for it uh, on Google, right? Um, and some people might run ads for it already um, and other people might just find it organically. So it's not like 
the customers that were about to buy your products would just be turned off and, and just look at a, at a, at a competitor. Um, it's more like the people, people that are exiting because they want to feel like they're making the best decision for them. You are giving them the info they need to make that decision. Mm. And, um, and the formula that I use in case the product is actually better, just make that irresistible. Mm. Yeah. Kind of easy to make that work. Yeah. I want to talk about copywriting a little bit more generally, um, cause it's a huge part of who you are and what you do. And I'm curious, you know, like what kind of, um, rules or principles or frameworks do you follow, uh, you know, besides sort of like the formulas or maybe just like the templates that you're working off of copywriting in general, when you're really, uh, doing the research, when you're, um, creating or, or writing for someone, when you're designing, how do you, how do you organize a page that gives people the information that they need? Like, what are the kind of principles and rules that you're following to kind of top of mind for you? Um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Um, I think it's much more intuitive to think about uh, to think about this from the customer's perspective rather than thinking about the rules of how you actually write something. Because honestly, I never think about that at all. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, there might be just ingraining my subconscious subconscious uh, subconscious at this point. <laughs> kind of got a brain fart in the middle. No but uh, but usually I don't like to think about them uh, as much. What I do is is like I told you before, man. I just uh, focus on what are the concerns that people have and let's address them. Let's get rid of all of those misconceptions. Let's really make sure that the website gives them all the reasons to sign up mm. and get gets rid of all the reasons why they wouldn't sign up. Um, that's what my focus point is. Is and and my and the way I can make that work is I choose clients. Uh, I choose to work with clients that ha really have a better product. So my focus is, okay, we really have a better solution here. So I have a lot of things to work with. I had a lot of things to, to a lot of USPs to actually mention. They are uh, not really clear now. Um, and it's just about making it more obvious that the product is like five or 10 X better than everything else that they have tried before. Mm. Um, and that is just fixes itself. If you like create a company where you don't have like a big differentiator, then you shouldn't have that company in the first place. Like, does like that? That's something that um, I don't work with people like that. Like, uh, that I'm just honest with that because uh, that's not a way to run a business. Mm. And because marketing a undifferentiated product is going to be very hard, right? Then it's sort of you have to compete on things like price or customer service or have a bunch of money to just go and acquire customers and make some sort of big deal about a uh, something other than the product itself. Right. But uh, that's, that's an interesting point. And I'm curious, like when you're, when you're evaluating who to work with and you're trying to run them through that criteria of, is this sort of like a, you know, someone who's really different or is this a great product that is, um, that has very unique value propositions? Like, um, is that something that comes to you pretty immediately that you can kind of like see, um, because you're, you're working with their existing landing page or you're working with a conversation with them, right? So how are you actually looking at them and saying, oh, actually, this is a company that deserves um, for these things to be talked about more, right? Or this is someone that I can invest some, some time and money into. Yeah, it's um, I need to feel that they have that perspective that I had in terms of how I market my own company. Uh, it's not like the, the, uh, it's not like they they have that mindset when it comes to marketing, but they do have that mindset when it comes to products. Where I, 
is not the exact question I asked them. But I, uh, if I get a feel like they're saying, okay, this is what most products do, and this is what we do. Mm. And if I see there's, it's radically different, and they're getting better results for their customers. And they think, and they switched over from all of these different products to get this, th their product in specific, then I feel the product is exactly what I, something I can sell, and not just something that the founder is bragging about because you know, is obviously biased, yeah. right? So that is the main thing. Obviously it has like some specific criteria that I go through um, in my intro call. So when someone books a, a call on my website, that's what I do. Just try to learn a little bit more about the business, try to see if I can help out or not. And then we'll just book another call where that, that's where I make my recommendations, right? Mm. So that's what I do in my intro call. And, um, and I just get a feel if I can help them or not. If I feel they have that irresistible offer. Because uh, you can scale a business like, uh, like scale them properly or profitably um, if it's not a good offer in the first place, yeah. right? I'm making that good offer more obvious. I'm not just making a, a magic irresistible offer out of nowhere mm -hmm. uh, because product isn't good in the first place. Yeah, yeah. What's something that you've changed your mind on? It could be some sort of uh, you know commonly held belief that you used to have or maybe advice uh, that you that you don't no longer believe is true or maybe it's just like a, a best practice, but what's something that you've personally changed your mind on? Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a good question. One thing that I definitely changed my mind on is about my role with, with my clients. And it's, um, it's, it's kind of weird to think about this, uh, or, or it's kind of weird to talk about this in a podcast where um, I'm just talking about landing pages and conversion all the time. But it seems like in the way I'm getting uh, results with clients and everything, my role like is like 70% keeping them accountable and helping them execute and helping them streamline their own schedule and everything like I was talking about. And then 30% like uh, giving them exactly what 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 they need to do and just fixing the things with the landing page and stuff because mm. um, I don't know founders just like a lot of clarity in structure even though they're even the engineer type um, and they just kind of get stuck and and I always felt like my role was 100% about the conversions and that I started noticing that um, not everyone was executing on things and they were getting stuck and and uh, that was just keeping them from getting the results that I knew that they could get. And when I started just focusing more on that and really trying to make sure that I keep them, uh, keep them accountable or help them with their schedule or try to send, change their mindset and how they think about selling their products before we even change anything in the funnel at all. So they really understand uh, how that is going to impact uh, things. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what, what, I've, what has changed recently. And that's something I realized and I realized like more and more, like every single day, I just want to say, I just need more content and training and, and follow-ups on this. Um, mm. Yep. Yeah, I'm just noticing that more and more. Yeah. it's interesting. Before we wrap up and it's been amazingly insightful and uh, I love the, all, the way that you think about things. I'd love to, to riff on a couple of examples from your own swipe file, you know, that you think are exceptional. It could be uh, clients that you've worked with, Example is that you've seen out in the wild, even though I know that there are few and far between, right? But that's why they're worthy of a swipe file. Could you walk me through a couple of 
examples or stories um, or campaigns that you think are, are exceptional? Yeah, so the first thing that I can think of, or the first company that I can think of is definitely uh, Basecamp. Hmm. Uh, they, they really have the mindset of saying, okay, this is what we do, and this is uh, how we do it, and this is why it's different than all these other companies. And most companies, they, they charge per user, we just charge a flat rate. Uh, most companies, they have this very specific tool, we have an all-in-one tool, and this is how we process things with, uh, or how this is how we manage projects with clients, this is how we expect you to use our products, that kind of thing. They have like, they have the clarity that I that I hope to bring to a lot of my clients, right? The 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 clarity that the, the founders have is just the clarity that I that I uh, like to provide for my clients and just try to get them into a similar mindset. Just that mm. thing alone could really help them scale. So that's definitely one. That's the only one I could really like recommend. It's not like their landing page is perfect, but it doesn't, it's not like th that is really just a surface level because they really know how to position the tool, how people talk about it, how people, uh, you know, really perceive Basecamp in general, um, everything, right? Really. Yeah. Um, then other examples is, I mean, honestly, I, I never have, and I've told you this in the past as well, I never save an entire page uh, for reference. I always save like an explainer video or maybe a particular section that I feel it's well explained or maybe a page in the middle of a funnel. The other day, like I was signing up for Circle, uh, the tool you use with uh, swipe files like the for the community yeah. that I'm uh, in there as well. Um, and I'm noticing they were like showing a walkthrough video before they even get to a trial or you, like you kind of choose to go through that journey. Um, and I thought that was like pretty smart. It's not for everyone. It's definitely for the type of uh, the type of product where um, you kind of have to set everything up before you can kind of see what it's going to look like, mm -hmm. and that is the perfect product for that because they if they show you what the end result is, then you're more likely to in the trial actually build everything up so you see how it would look for itself. If you didn't have the walkthrough at the beginning, then you wouldn't see what it was capable of, and you wouldn't just get through the trial and become a customer. Yeah. So that's another thing. I just save like sections at the time. And obviously my clients, right? Um, the things that I worked on uh, with them and when they get like a really good result, I just think, oh, this is really well executed. How can I do this with other clients and turn this into a template, turn this into a, some sort of cheat sheet, hmm. uh, turn it into a system like we talked about throughout the entire episode. Yeah. What, what are some of the, your favorite uh clients or like the, the landing pages that you've designed you're the most proud of? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say, honestly, I think I'm more proud of uh, some of the pricing pages that I worked on hmm. uh, and some of the, than some of the landing pages, just because I, I don't know, I think they're kind of cool when you play around with them and do kind of get like ridiculous results in some of them. Um, I really liked, uh, working on Groundhog's pricing page. That's the client I was talking about around the, um, the email marketing tool. Um, I really liked working on, oh, I think it's a, a good landing page um, for like Live Recover, which is a tool that helps you like send text messages instead of um, like emails to recover the better cards, like for e-commerce stores. Right. That's, that's a clear example of a client that I can work with. 
most companies do email and they convert at 5%, they send text and they convert at 20. Like when I saw that, I said like, I can sell this with my eyes closed. And they, they got really good results as well. I was, but that was like two years ago. Um, it should be still doing pretty well. Um, what else? What, what was it about uh, Groundhog's yeah, pricing page? Really, yeah. I was just gonna say, what, what was it about Groundhog's pricing like, page? That was that made it better, or yeah, I just feel like um, everything was on point, right? Uh, the the pricing was more affordable, uh, which they, they weren't comparing it at all. So uh, essentially, other companies charge you more money as you grow their list. They don't, so we make that stupid obvious. We even called it like success tax. So we don't charge mm. we don't charge these ta uh, tax that other companies uh, charge you. That's what um, uh, Basecamp also does in their pricing, uh, which is pretty good. Then we, we talked about all the features that they get. So they know, okay, these are all the features they get. We tell them that it works directly with WordPress. So it's going to be super familiar. We told them that it's going to have all these different courses included in actually office hours that they're already hosting, but they weren't actively promoting. So if you want to know how to like grow the business or how to set up a certain campaign, they have office hours, then they have a course on it. That is like hundred percent free. You can kind of become a pro in like two hours. Um, and then just addressing uh, the objections of uh, like switching and just showing people that switch from other tools and uh, just having that call to action uh, there again of telling them what to do next. So that was pretty much it. Uh, uh, now I obviously turned that into a template as well. But And this is actually something that I got really re good results from before I did the one with Groundhog. But Groundhog just got the best results because they mm. got like an 80% increase in revenue, whereas the best result I've gotten before was like a 40% increase before they even messed around with the landing page and everything. Wow. That's awesome. Well, Pedro, it's been a wealth of knowledge. Um, I've super enjoyed having you uh, on the podcast. And for my last question, I call it my, my guy Raz question. Um, so for it's all the things that you shared and uh, the clients that you've worked with, how much would you attribute to luck and how much would you attribute to your own hard work and ethic? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good question. Um, how much would I attribute this to luck? I mean, the way I think about luck really is, is I don't know, somebody, I just heard this from somebody else, but I always remember the quotes, but never remember who uh, <laughs> uh, like gave me the quotes. But basically what they said is uh, like luck is like a bus. As long as you were like, as long as you stay at the bus station looking for the bus to come, that's going to show up again. Another one is going to mm. pass um, and you're going to find that bus, right? So that's how I think about luck. The When we really think about the decisions that people make and how they buy SaaS, it's like fairly, fairly predictable, right? So if we know that people are like hesitating to buy because they have this question, like if we address them, we for sure is going to get an increase, right? Um Sometimes, obviously, throughout this process, maybe I've gotten a little bit lucky, right? The, 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 the ways I think I would get lucky, obviously, I, got res I get results very consistent. But the way that I, I would think I, I got lucky in some ways is what if with those clients where I was just thinking of myself as a designer, what if they didn't got those amazing results or if I didn't notice? Hmm. Or what if uh, I was just working on landing pages and then we happened to tweak this other page and then I didn't notice that got that got really good results. Or I would just tell the clients, hey, that's out of scope or let's try something else or 
whatever I would say, maybe I would be stubborn about it or something. Or because these are things that I'm actively exploring and testing. Um, and then I only use when they are actually tested mm. uh, or uh, talk about them publicly or, or advise them to clients and everything. So I think where I really got lucky is just trying to look for those opportunities or just just going at, out of my comfort zone. And then when you kind of get lucky and you get a result, then you kind of find another opportunity to double down on. And then eventually you systematize that. And now it's it's based on your hard work and, and your um in your expertise, but maybe at the beginning, kind of start off with luck because kind of the first time you did it, you probably weren't like fu fully confident mm. on, uh, about it. Right. So that's what I would say. It's very true. Well, Pedro, thanks for coming on again and spending time with me. Appreciate you. And uh, thanks for sharing everything. Awesome, man. So uh, hopefully this was useful. Absolutely. Thanks again to Pedro for coming on the show. If you can, pop on Twitter and give him a thanks for me for sharing everything in the episode and let him know what you thought as well. Some takeaways you don't want to forget. One, you have to train yourself to think like a potential customer. What are the questions they're asking? Why wouldn't they take action? What reservations might they have? Two, you also have to remember to clearly articulate why your product is better than the alternatives. You can't just expect customers to connect the dots. It's better to call it out than to ignore it completely. And three, I also love Pedro's thoughts on improving calls to action. He always incorporates risk reversal and sets expectations to remove as much friction as possible from the sign-up process. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swipefiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.